For those who fish, this is the Drake cast. He was tying feathers on a hook. I'll do a hopper with a hopper dropper with a dropper hopper. The river was like a woman. Could be a disco midge, it could be a bead head. I'm your host, Elliot Adler. But before we can hop in, a few words from our dedicated sponsors. This episode of the Drake Cast is brought to you by Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. Hi, this is Sean Lawson with Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. This week's featured destination is the Yucatan. One of our easiest international destinations to fly to, the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico offers some of the best price points and highest overall values for saltwater trip packages from all-inclusive lodges to single-day trips. Great fishing for bonefish, permit, tarpon, snook, and more. Give us a call here at Yellow Dog or visit us online at yellowdogflyfishing.com. And remember that while there's a lot of ways to get there, there's certainly only one way to do it right. This episode is also brought to you by Scott Fly Rods. John Duncan, the owner of Telluride Angler, told me why he recommends Scott Fly Rods to his customers. Scott Fly Rods are so compelling because new Scott Rods are always the product of pure design. When Jim Barchi designs a new fly rod, it's because he's come up with something that's actually better for fishermen. And that's why, at any given time, the best fly rod in the world in any given category, like trout or saltwater, is very likely to be a Scott. Go check out a Scott fly rod at Telluride Angler, your local fly shop, or scottflyrod.com. Welcome back to the Drakecast, folks. And this is actually a special episode, because if you look closely, you'll see that we put this one out on Father's Day. And to help celebrate these 24 hours of paternal heritage, I called up this guy. Hey, man. Chuck, how are you? I'm pretty good. A little tired. Just uh, pulled into town from a wild weekend at uh, Schultz Outfitters, Michigan. This is Chuck Reagan. If you manage to catch a screening of this year's fly fishing film tour, you'll know who Chuck Reagan is. But if not, here's a bit of a primer. I'm Chuck Reagan. I live in Grass Valley, California. I'm a fishing guide. I'm a musician. And I'm a dad. Been a bit of a grind. I've been guiding a lot when I'm home. And then be on daddy duty for until <laughs> the boy goes to bed. And then bouncing back and forth between home in the airport and flying somewhere, banging out a couple gigs, uh, getting back home and just repeating the cycle. So <laughs> it's, I don't know how long I'll have the energy to do it, run this hard, but right now I got it. You know, I'm having a great time I'm making a living for my family. And, you know, more importantly, I'm, I'm learning a lot. This episode is going to follow Chuck from the beginning. Because before he was a musician, or a father, or a fishing guide, Chuck was a son. We'll hear about Chuck's relationship with his father, both the highs and the lows, and how Chuck has managed to achieve his parental, piscatorial, and Pavarotti-esque trifecta. Throughout this episode, we'll be serenaded by music from Chuck's album, The Flame in the Flood. So stick around. But first, make sure you call up your old man and wish him a happy Father's Day. Alrighty, let's start at the beginning. 
let's talk a little bit about your dad. Who was he? Um, in the yeah. movie, you talk about his golf career. My father's PGA pro. Um, he was a U.S. Ryder Cup team player in 1963. Uh, my father relocated us. It always seemed like it was close to, to good, if not great, fishing spots. <laughs> but I'm sure he was more than just a PGA pro. Can you tell me a little bit about your dad? Man, my dad was just the epitome of a, just a stand-up gentleman. He was always willing to give his shirt off his back. And obviously, he had an extremely impressive golf career just a heavy hitter pro golfer he was also just a very devout christian and a man of the word just trying to spread good and, and help people along the way you know i mean if if i could be a fraction of the man that that he was you know i'm, I'm headed in the right direction Could you give me an example of a really poignant memory of being with your father in the woods or on the water? <laughs> uh, I remember um, we were out hunting squirrels on this on this big, huge, vacant property that was just woods. I mean, I was young. I was probably, I had to be probably 10 or 11 years old. He had just gotten me. Uh, my first shotgun, a little single shot 410. We get out of his uh, truck and we put on our vests. And man, I'm just as excited as can be. He's showing me how to hold it, how to walk with it, kind of teaching me safety and everything that I need to know. And we start walking down the trail and, and he was real adamant about it. He's like, you just keep that barrel up. You don't want to trip and push that barrel into the dirt. You're going to, if you clog it up, you know, you can shoot and it can blow up the barrel. In my mind, I just was thinking of a Bugs Bunny cartoon or something when they shoot the gun and the barrel just <laughs> explodes, you know. And so we're walking down the trail and sure enough, I trip on a tree root and I just jam this barrel straight into the mud. I mean, like a foot into some mud. Oh, boy. I kind of looked up at him. I got up. And I just, I was so upset. I had some tears. I thought I ruined my new gun for good, you know. I was so upset. And I remember we sat down. And he just kind of, he's like, it's all right. It's all right. We spent plenty of time just sitting there. And then he's showing me how to kind of clean it. He pushed that mud through and cleaned it out. And then he sat down and just kind of started talking about paying attention to everything that we do, you know, just just paying close attention. And I remember we sat there and we started looking around and we we're looking at birds and, and we we're even looking at squirrels, like squirrels that we were supposed to be hunting. But we were sitting there on this route that I tripped over looking around and and uh, just learning lessons and I think about that moment um, pretty often you know especially when I'm out when I'm out walking in the woods you know I just kind of think about that moment 
man, he was just always so supportive on about just about anything that we did, you know, up until I got into punk rock. <laughs> and he was always supportive of me, but there was definitely, you know, a time where I kind of, I walked away from sports and all I wanted to do was skateboard and play loud music. And he, he was like, I don't know about that. In the movie, you talk about growing up as a bit of a punk and a rebel. Just a rotten little snot-nosed punk and who rebelled against the church and the state and authority and parents and everything. Um, it sounds like before this time, your relationship with your parents was pretty good. How about your relationship through this punk rebellion phase? How was your relationship with your parents then? Oh, it was terrible. I used to be really ashamed and embarrassed, you know, of how I treated them for like my teenage years. I mean, I, I look back on it now, and at the end of the day, they're just looking out for me. You know, they just wanted the best for their kid. Man, I tell you, you know, I mean, I, I was I was just a little rat punk and wasn't pleasant to my folks at all. Definitely didn't make it easy on them at all. There were, you know, many times where I didn't want to want to even have them as my parents. They were very, uh, very pushy when it came to their religion. You know, they definitely felt like I should believe the same way. Very strict in, in that. And that was part of what kind of drove me away. You know, I was kind of, when I got to that 12-year-old, 13-year-old, know-it-all face where, you know, you're starting to really form your own opinion, seeing a bit of the outside world and realizing yourself. I was realizing that myself wasn't necessarily along the same lines that my parents believed. And instead of being cordial and responsible about it and explaining it to them, you know, in a peaceful manner. I just rebelled. I ran away. I fought them. Just rotten. Just rotten. I mean, when I kind of went through a bunch of junk at, at a young age and, you know, my folks, my folks felt like I wasn't, I wasn't really safe, you know, as felt like I would either harm myself or harm somebody else. So they decided to put me into kind of this uh, long-term treatment facility for uh, troubled youth. It was called the Life Program. And, you know, when, when you go in, it's terrifying. You're going from this rebellious, doing whatever you want, saying whatever you want to say, having every freedom to you know going into a place where they take your shoelaces and take your belt and you're never alone and somebody walks around with either their hand on your shoulder or, or a thumb in your belt loop you know just humiliating they do it just to break you down to help rebuild yourself i guess if, if that makes any sense I was in the program for about 14 months. You know, you're completely isolated from society. 
boys and girls are separated. It works in the same way as like AA or NA would work where they follow these steps. One of the key focuses is spirituality. You need to understand and you need to find God as you understand him, you know, so like God could be whatever you wanted it to be. For me, it ended up being music and the outdoors. That's where I felt the most at peace, right? I just want to give a little context to listeners of how big you were within the punk rock world. I think it was probably bigger than people appreciate. Well, I don't know. I, I mean, we our scene in our circle was pretty underground in the sense that when we started out, it was, it was extremely underground, but it was starting to get popular in mid-90s, you know. But, I mean, we toured with a lot of bands, like... Bad Religion, Lesson Jake, Saves the Day. We definitely put in a lot of time. We made a ridiculous, a ridiculous amount of sacrifices to do, do what we wanted to do and the way that we wanted to do it. I feel pretty lucky that I just happened to end up in one of those kind of bands. Whether we are weak and weary You know, so I got put into that place and, and I, I went through this whole thing and, and you know, at first, when I came out of that program and I tried to explain to my parents, this is the spirituality they've, I've found. We clashed again, you know, because that wasn't the religion that they agreed upon. Like to them, there was one way and only one way. And, you know, here I got, I get put into this place, stripped of everything and then taught to think for myself and rebuild something in a positive way and I did that and they disagreed with it you know so we clashed again and it took a it took quite a while for us to see along the same lines and there there were many 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 years where you know when I hung out with my parents very much like being on a boat with people you don't know there's two things you don't talk about <laughs> you know what i'm saying politics and religion <laughs> just leave it alone we're fishing you know as soon as i kind of grew up enough to realize this man just loves you and cares about you and only wants the best for you you know just keep it cool keep it copacetic and Let's fish, let's let's hunt, let's walk in the woods, and let's leave politics and religion out of all this. Everything was wonderful. <laughs> we were all aware that my dad had been struggling for a few years. Even though you know that, it still comes as... Um, you know, a bit of a surprise. The last time I saw him, 
I was already at peace with everything. And I, I kind of had a feeling that that was going to be the last time I had a chance to see him. I think when we lose, you know, when we lose family or friends, like it's, it's always kind of a, it's always kind of a wake up call, you know, it's never, you know, we, it's funny how we prepare for so much in our life, except for the inevitable, (laughs) you know, like we, we prepare for so many things, you know, whether it's in our career or, you know, a baby on the way or education or, or work. But, um, very few of us prepare for, for death. And it's always, it's always a wake up call. So the first time I heard, I just immediately went into, you know, my, my brother was pretty busted up. Um, my mom was pretty busted up and, uh, and I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it would have gone the other way if I was busted up. But, you know, I just kind of immediately, I guess, took the role of, okay, I need to be strong for my family. And uh, I don't know. You know, I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't deal with it right away. It just kind of went into the motion of, okay, all right, well, what do we need to do? Make sure everybody gets through this. kind of surface at random times you know and then uh i got home and um i was in the hardware store (laughs) uh getting some new floodlights for the for the yard and i reached down there was a there's an older woman who was working there and stocking the shelves and i reached down to grab a light and i knocked knocked a couple bolts off the shelf and they shattered and I kind of stepped back and I looked up at her and she looked at me, just kind of raised an eyebrow and I just fell apart. <laughs> I just fell apart in the middle of this uh, hardware store. And I said, ma'am, I'm so sorry. It's been, it's been a really tough couple weeks. And, uh, you know, I asked her for a broom to clean it up. She went and she said, oh, honey, you... You know, you go take care of you, and uh, I got this. You know, she's a, and she just said, you know, the tough days make us stronger. <laughs> and I just, I was like halfway crying, halfway laughing as I walked out of there. And it kind of made me just kind of reflect on the fact that, you know, it's it's important to feel. You know, it's important to be connected, you know, with our feelings and it's okay to hurt, you know, it's okay to mourn, even when you feel like you don't have time to, you know. I mean, my dad, like we had a, we had a a strong connection uh, with the outdoors and, and, you know, we shared a lot of time on the water and in the woods and, to me, you know, that's that's how I dealt with it. I 
and just got back on the water. Had uh, quite a few just solo missions, uh, just going out and hunting fish and thinking about him and, you know, laughing to myself and, you know, thinking of old, old stories and moments. And, I mean, it made me really appreciative to have the opportunity to, to just have an awesome role model the best role model that I could ever have you know and really made me want to step up and and always strive to be a better dad a better husband you know just a better man in general How have you taken your parents' parenting styles and adapted them to fit your needs as a father? I mean, I think about the way that my dad raised all of us, and my mom too. In many ways, they were both extremely positive, you know, and supportive in most of the things that we chose to do. And man, if, if there was one thing that all of us boys walked away with, was that anything, anything was possible. Like if, if we worked hard enough and we had a strong enough passion for it, we could do absolutely anything that we wanted to. That was always a lesson with my dad. You know, not only that, but the fact that we could always be better. It was much more of a just a positive encouragement of just saying, hey, that's awesome. What can we do to make it even better? I mean, that's what I want my son to grow up with. That's that's the attitude that I want my son to grow up with. To be comfortable and confident in his abilities and his goals, but to always know that there's always room for a little bit of improvement. I don't know how my dad did it, you know. Maybe that's just more for me to learn, you know, <laughs> in a way. I mean, it's funny to explain that and then now say, I feel like I'm a, I'm a pretty good dad right now, but I know that I could be better. <laughs> I'm going to try to be better tomorrow. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about your son? Yeah. yeah his, his name is Grady Joseph. He turned three years old on May 26th. Man, he's my best friend. He's my best friend. He's, he's absolutely everything in this world to me. And he's just so positive, so full of life. He loves to fish. He loves to play in the mud. He loves bugs crawling on him. And he loves to tear stuff up and <laughs> he just he loves it all he makes me realize my purpose reach the water sons and daughters when you find your way that's one thing that you know I had a realization not long ago that just absolutely terrified me is we're out in the yard and just having a good old time and at one point it just kind of hit me of just how precious and how innocent 
this child is and how he's growing up in this extremely positive and loving bubble. And at some point, he's going to realize how ugly and how absolutely hateful and awful this world can be, you know? I mean, sure, we're showing him so much beauty in this world, how special the outdoors are and how special wildlife is. And and he's got that. He knows that. But he hasn't seen ugly yet, you know? It hit me a while ago that at some point down the road, he's going to have his heart broken. He's going to have his his brain just turned inside out wondering why people can be so hateful you know that was absolutely heartbreaking you know to have that realization you know but at the same time I mean you know that's uh, that's just part of becoming an adult that's going to be part of what he's going to have to deal with becoming a a teenager and, and then becoming a, a man. I, I really just have one more question. What's next for Chuck Reagan? What does the next five years look like? <laughs> um, I'm just focusing at home. I'm, I'm just focusing on my fisheries and building the guide business and constantly just honing the programs that I have right now already, taking care of that beautiful little boy and just doing everything I can to, to give this kid the best life possible um, and to be home as, as much as possible for him. It's tough. I'm still always trying to find this balance you know, between guiding and playing music because playing music means... I'm just leaving, constantly leaving home, you know. I foresee doing less and less and less of that. I'd much rather be stationary and just be home more. Long water Well, that's all we have for this week, folks. As always, a huge thanks to Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures and Scott Flyrods for their continued support of the Drake cast. Many thanks to Chuck Reagan for agreeing to chat and for letting us use his music. If you want to know more about any of his operations, Google Chuck Reagan, R-A-G-A-N, or type in crflyfishing.com. Also, a big shout out to Matt Devlin of PMD Productions for letting us use some of the audio from his film, Landsick, which should be available online in the near future. Make sure to check back to drakemag.com for more information about Chuck and this film. 
Next week, we head into the woods of Georgia in search of what is arguably the southernmost population of wild native brook trout in the world. And while we're down there, we might even try to shoot a turkey. So make sure to check back in. Thanks for listening. This has been the Drake Cast. So